All right. What's going on, Faith Church? Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are so glad that all of you are here, whether you are Faith Church family or you're a first-time guest, whether you're here in person or you're watching online, we just want to say welcome. Man, we try to say this each and every week because this is our heart as Christ followers. We believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. And so whatever you walked in this place with, whatever your struggle, your battle, your challenge, your opportunity, we just believe that if you'll do life God's way, man, you'll find victory and peace and joy. So open up your heart today. Allow God to continue to speak to us, not only through the worship, but man, through his word. Y'all ready today for the word of God? Come on. Hey, we close with God is always good, man. If you believe God is good, can we make about five seconds of noise for the Lord? Can we honor him? All right. Where's all my germaphobes at? Who's a germaphobe? Like you won't touch no door. Yeah, y'all, some of you make like make. It's funny because for real, first there and this two people, germaphobes are like, like they don't even want to go outside their boundary. Like the air up there is dirty and I'm not reaching too high. Germaphobes. I'm not a germaphobe. I mean, I'm a little sensitive, but my wife, um, like where are all the hand sanitizer people at? You are my wife's people. She has stock in hand sanitizer. We're retiring multi-millionaires because of it. <laughs> Like, I'll use it. My wife uses it, like, anytime we're out, several times. We go in a store. We meet anybody. Like, she's always, and she always insists. Like, we are husband and wife, but there are moments when she is my mother, and it's with hand sanitizer. Here, take some hand sanitizer. No, no, I'm good, Mom. No, take it. And she puts, like, so much on, you could, like, bathe in it. I'm like, for real, like, you know, just gobs of it. But I get it. Again, I get it, you know. Um, it's, it's, it's a challenge. It's the, you know, the, the deal is real. Let me tell you where it's the worst. And, and I have seen this happen so many times, men, I'm about to rat you out. Women pay attention to what I'm about to tell you about your man. Are you ready? Most men do not wash their hands when they go to the bathroom. Oh, I know, right? That's how I am. If I'm standing there waiting for my son or waiting for a friend, like I'm t- like nine out of 10 and I don't say anything, but I look at him like, heck no, you ain't washing your hands. You just, what? It's the grossest thing I've ever seen, and the worst place to experience it is in a movie theater. You going to do what and stick your hand in a bucket of popcorn? We'll walk in the theater. I'm telling you, man, like halfway through the movie, I'm like, ah! It's like, babe, what's this in a horror movie? I know. I'm like, but did you see that's the guy? He was in front of me, and he didn't wash his hands. And then he shared the bucket with his bride. Listen, I'm telling you, it's crazy, and here's, here's why it matters. It's... It really is a big deal, right? We have to be sensitive of germs because germs make people sick. Now, there was a time people didn't know that. For hundreds of years, thousands of years, people were getting sick, and scientists had no idea why. There was lots of formulations. There was lots of ideas. There were lots of hypotheses in what was causing people to be sick. But some of you might remember it was in the mid-19th century. There was a guy by the name of Louis Pasteur. Anybody remember him, biology? There were people who did some lay work on the front end, but Lou Pasteur, he came up and basically he came up with what was known as the germ theory. What the germ theory taught was this, is that there are microorganisms that though your eye cannot see them, they do have an impact on our physical world. And the wonderful thing was, is once they discovered these microorganisms, once they discovered that there was something your eye can't see that impacts you, they were able to def- come up with strategies to defend against it to help people to not be subject to it. What I want to talk about today is that there is another unseen enemy. And though you can't see him, he is just as real and he has just as big of an impact in the world that we live in. And so if you're not clear on who we're talking about today, for a few minutes, I want to talk 
about this person who gathers the title and captures the name of Satan, the devil. Now, I know we live in the Western world. And in the Western world, we have a hard time with this idea of a spiritual enemy. Now, let me just challenge you because as our world grows more multicultural, I just want you to know that in the Western world, we are the minority in, in having a hard time believing there's a spiritual enemy. In Latin America, South America, all over the continent of Africa, there is an understanding there is a real spiritual battle, and it's what frames their life and makes it all make sense. And you're saying, well, Pastor Steve, are you taking kind of the Eastern mindset over the Western mindset? No, I'm taking Jesus's word over anybody else's word because anybody who predicts his death and resurrection and pulls it off, I'm going with him. And Jesus clearly taught that there's a real devil, there are real demons, there's a real fight, and you better get your fight on. Everybody shout, fight the fight. So God calls us to this fight. And so for a few minutes, I want to step into week two of this series entitled Doctrine for Dummies. Now, again, a doctrine is basically a biblical teaching. Now, we're called not just to be spiritual people. It's great if you're spiritual, but there needs to be a framework for our spirituality. There needs to be a framework of who we worship, of how we worship. And we get that from God's word. God frames our spirituality. And so what we're doing through this series is we're looking at kind of four big topics, big overarching themes found in this doctrine that God calls us to believe and teaches us in his word. What we're looking at is what we started last week, that God is good, good God, devil bad, man broken, Jesus saves. And so last week we jumped in and that's exactly where we started. We just made this declaration that God is good, right? And God does good. God is good and God does good. And hopefully you took a minute last week and you walked through that. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. Today, as we step into week two, devil bad, we're going to go around the same line of thinking that the same way that God is good and does good, what I want to say today is that the devil is evil and he does evil. The devil is evil and he does evil. Now, if you have your Bible, we're going to jump, we're going to jump through a lot of stuff today. We're going to go at a pretty quick clip. And so if you miss something, you can always go back and listen later. You can podcast or watch online. You're probably not going to be able to keep up with a, with a Bible, so they're on the jumbotron behind us. Let's go back, and what I want to do is I want us to start with this, who is this person? Who is this entity called Satan? Where did he come from? Well, if you start all the way in Genesis, again, Genesis is the first book of the Bible, and it's known as the book of beginnings. Because in the book of beginnings, we are introduced to the beginning of creation. We are introduced to the creator. We are introduced to humanity. We are introduced to our spiritual enemy. So it makes all of these early introductions of all the framework of what we're talking about for these four weeks. And so right in the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, we're introduced to this, this character we're going to talk about today. And understand this first verse, it's in the framework of what we find the very first time Satan is introduced in Scripture, he's tempting humanity. Like, that's the way he comes on the scene, doing his deal. In fact, here's what the Bible says, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. So, I, I just got to tell you this, right? I, we don't really know, theologians don't know, we don't really know, like, did, serpent possess, uh, did Satan possess a serpent's body? Did he just look like a serpent? Like, we're not really clear, but we know this, if an animal starts talking to the woods, Run! Don't eat what they're trying to give you, right? Don't take food from strangers, especially talking serpents. But nonetheless, serpent tempts Adam and Eve. We'll come back to this in a minute. But his first moment on the human stage, on human history, we find him tempting. But what I want to do is I want to back up for a few minutes and find out where 
uh, where uh, Satan came from. So we're going to look at a couple scriptures. Isaiah chapter 14 paints the beginning. Isaiah tells us kind of the beginning of this person that we know is Satan. He says this, verse 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. So Satan's original name was Lucifer, right? I mean, if he had a last name, God would have used it here. Like Lucifer Smith, right? How many times I got to tell you? With just Lucifer, that's his first name. How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to the heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of God far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, God said, you'll be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. Ezekiel, he chimes in on this conversation of where did Satan come from? And he says this, Ezekiel 28, he says, you are the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. Check it out. Like, like this cat is not wearing red pajamas, a pitchfork and horns. Like he was good looking. Like he probably has got some abs and some pecs and he looked good. In fact, he didn't just look good. He dressed, he had a Gucci style. Watch this. It says this, your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, red carnelian, pale green peridot, white moonstone, blue green beryl, onyx, green jasper, blue lapis lazuli, turquoise and emerald, all beautifully created for you and set in the finest gold. And they were given to you on the day you were created. God said, I ordained you and anointed you to be a mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and you walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian. From your place among the stones of fire, your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by the love of your splendor. So right, like I'm reading all this scripture because I want you to see that this, that this person, his name originally was Lucifer, and, and God paints the picture of kind of who he was and what happened. I want you to help me with this. I'm going to say a word, and I want you to give me the opposite of the word, okay? Uh, let's do this. Let's do, uh, let's do short, big. White, God, no. Listen, I want everybody to understand something. God has no equal and has no counterpart. He is unlike anything else or anybody else. What the Bible tells us about this person, Lucifer, is at one time he was an angel. He was a created being. Last week I told you God is a creator God. God is still creating. God wants to create things in and through our lives. God is a creator God, and before he created what we see in this natural world and before he created us, God was busy creating, and he created a race of beings called angels. And the Bible tells us that Lucifer was an angel. He was a chief angel. And a couple of things I want you to see about it is, number one, that Lucifer was created. God is eternal, but Lucifer had a beginning. There was a time he was not, but then God created him. And not only is he created, but the Bible says he's a mighty angel. Everybody shout mighty. That means this person that we're in a fight with, he's a big deal. He's smarter than most of us. He's been around a long time. He has figured out the psychology of humanity. He knows our buttons to push. He knows where to mess with you, what will cause you to come down, won't cause me to come down, and what will mess with me and bring me down won't bring you down. And he's smart enough to know the difference. He really is mighty. But the good news is the God who's fighting through us is bigger than the devil who's fighting against us because he might be mighty, but God is almighty. So, right, so the picture that's painted is that that he's fallen, 
He was created, right? He had this beginning. He's mighty. When I say he's fallen, I mean he is totally corrupted with sin. He was beautiful in beginning. He was an angel of light, but now he's corrupted. And now who is he? So we know he was created good. He was created an archangel, but at some point he wanted to be like God and was cast out of heaven. The Bible tells us later in Revelation that he convinced somehow a third of the angels to follow in his footsteps and a third of them were cast out. That's where the devil comes from and that's where real demons come from. And it creates a real unseen spiritual battle that every one of us are in. And I just want you to know this on the front end. If you don't fight, you'll fall. If you don't stand your ground, you'll fall backward. And so God calls us to this fight to understand that the devil's real and the devil's bad. But here's the question, like... After that, what happened? Well, he comes on the scene, and then he starts to get introduced, not as an angel and not as Lucifer. In fact, you step in the New Testament, and all of these names are given that help us to understand who he is. And these names as they're given, some of them are nouns, and some of them are verbs, and some of them are adjectives. Some of us tell us his titles, and some of them tell us what he does, and some of us tell him how he is. In fact, most of the way that we understand who Satan is in the New Testament comes from Jesus because Jesus called him in the rest of the New Testament, calls him the tempter, the accuser, the deceiver, the evil one, our adversary, like on and on and on. It paints this picture like you and I, we've got a real spiritual enemy. But here's the question like I want to tackle for a few minutes is like, what's his problem with us? Like, why does the devil hate us so bad? Why does he hate you? Like, I don't know about anybody else, but I like to try to avoid drama in my life. Come on, anybody here glad you graduated high school and left high school friends? Now, they might still be 30 years old, but they're still high school friends. Save the drama for your mama. Like, there's this drama between God and the devil, and somehow we got dragged into it. Why does Satan hate you so bad? Here's why. Number one, it's just his nature. He is so corrupted by sin, all he does is hate. That's just who he is. I think more important than that, and this I want you to get this today is, is because specifically he is the enemy of God and hates God. And because he hates God, he, lo- he hates anything that God loves. I just want you all to get this today. I believe the enemy has a greater grasp on the, God, on the love that God has for us than many of us in this room do. And the reason I know that is, is because the reason the devil is fighting against me, he don't really give a rip about me. He hates God. And anything he can do to disrupt the heart of God, he's getting at God. And the way he disrupts the heart of God is by getting any one of us to fall. So he's fighting against you to get at God. Are you all hearing me? Because he understands that God radically and totally and eternally loves every one of us in this room. Come on, anybody here believe that? I seen it a couple years ago. We were at Target, and I don't know if y'all have seen stuff like this before, and hope maybe this has happened to you. Some of you, maybe you've done this, and you need Jesus. So sometimes when my wife goes in the store, I'll sit out in the fire lane where you're not supposed to park. I just confessed it. I'm forgiven. What are you, judgmental? So I'll sit there because I found if I go in there with her, she spends more money and stays longer. But if I stay in the car and text her every three minutes, are you coming? Are you coming? Where you at? Are you coming? Are we there? Right? So, you know, so I'll, sometimes I'll sit in the car. So anyways, one time I'm sitting, I think we were at Target and I'm sitting there and I see this lady come out. I'm just kind of hanging out and I see her, kind of watch her. She's kind of several aisles down. She walks to her car. And when she gets to what is apparently her car, a car parked really way too close to her, so she couldn't really get in her door. And so she came around, and she stood in front of this car, and I couldn't read her face because, like, just her back. But she was like, and then I seen her, like, do something like that. And then she went around the passenger seat, got in her car, and drove away. Well, kind of, you know, she had a Faith Church sticker on the back. It was crazy. 
I know some of you, that's why you won't put, put, put one on your car, because we will know it's you. And so I was like, okay, that was kind of, you know, I mean, I get it. People park too close to me. And so, well, a few minutes later, here comes this guy. And he goes and he walks right to this car that was parked too close. And when he walks in front of his car, he stops and you see him look. And he's like, <laughs> here what this lady had done was keyed his hood. And I got to watch it all. But here's, now here's the thing. Was, was the lady mad at the car? No, but she knew if she could mess with the property that belonged to the man, it would be a way of getting at the man who owned the car. See, the reason the devil's fighting against you, he don't care about you, but if he can hurt God's property, listen, it'll upset the heart of God. And the Bible makes it clear that we have been purchased with a price. We have been bought by the blood of Jesus. We belong to him. We are his. And when the devil can get at us, he gets at the heart of the Father. So listen, anytime you're going through a tough time, it better not just be a reminder that you, gotta be, you have an enemy. It ought to be a reminder of how radically loved you are by the Father. But not only that, and I think this is probably more important than, all, than those first two items, that he's, it's just his nature and God loves us and hates, hates God. So I think it's this. I think one of the reasons the devil really hates us and works against us and fights against us is because we have what he wanted. Like we got what he wanted. You say, what did he want? Well, let me tell you again, I read it in Ezekiel and I read it in Isaiah. One of the things he wanted, he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be like God. And then when he, when he got pride in his life, he got judgment for his sin and we got mercy for ours. That's a win right there. But he wanted to be like God. Let me tell you something about who you are. The Bible says the face that looked back in the mirror this morning when you were brushing your teeth and combing your hair, it was made in the image of God. You're just not made in the image of God. The Bible says you carry the presence of God as a child of God. And as a child of God, that's who your title is. It's not who you hope to be. God declares that if you belong to him, you are his child. So we are made in his image. We carry his presence and we are called his children. We have the very thing that the devil wanted and that's why he hates us so bad. And everything he can do to keep you from that truth and everything he can do to wrestle that truth from you, he feels like it's a win. And I want you to know something. People you invite to church that won't come and people you try to talk to that don't listen, the, the, the real spirit of atheism and agnosticism that exists in our world, it is in part driven by the enemy. The Bible says that he tries to blind the eyes of the unbeliever from seeing the truth. He doesn't want them to see and he doesn't want you to see and he doesn't want me to see that God loves us, died for us, and has a radical life for us. So we find ourselves in this spiritual battle. We find ourselves in this fight. And you may not be aware of the fight. You may not know you're fighting, but I want you to know something. The fight is nonetheless real. And so check this out. So again, the devil is evil and the devil wants evil for us. Like it's just not enough for him to be fallen and corrupt. He wants us to fall. He wants us to be corrupted by sin as well. And so I want for a few minutes, we're gonna wrestle through some more scriptures and uh, check this out. In Ephesians... Ephesians chapter 6, it says this, <clears throat> and here's how he does it. This is what the fight looks like. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able, and I want you all to shout these words with me, that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Everybody shout, stand. stand. God wants you to stand because if you're not standing, you're falling. If you're not holding your ground, you're falling backwards. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. So he says, I want you to be able to stand your ground against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and, and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. 
So man, what Paul is doing is he's trying to shape the framework of the fight we're in. And he's telling us right out of the gate in the middle of this story, kind of the who, the what, the why, and the how. He's saying, listen, I want you to understand who you're fighting is you are fighting real spiritual evil forces. And how they're fighting us is that they have strategies. It's the word where we get our, our, our word methodologies. Everybody understand this. The enemy has a very clear battle plan how to take you out. He has specific strategies. Like it's not willy-nilly. It's not like he just does the same thing. Again, there's things that tempt you that don't tempt me. There's stuff I wrestle with that you don't wrestle with. And the enemy knows that there is a strategy for humanity and there is a strategy unique to each and every one of us that he is using and he is implementing to try to take us down. And so God says, so that's who and that's how. Why? Again, man, it's this word stand. And Paul actually uses this word three times in three verses. Stand, stand. Stand. And the word stand, again, it's, it's not just holding your ground, but it's a picture of when the fight is over, you're still intact. I want you to know something. God wants in the middle of your fight that's happening in your marriage, in part is somehow influenced by the enemy, that when the fight is over, your marriage is still intact, that your home is still intact, that your kids are still intact, that your finances are still intact, that your relationship with God is still intact. And if you want a life that's intact, you better learn how to fight a real spiritual enemy and you better stand. Everybody shout, stand, stand. And so this is what he tells us. And so he gets in and he lays out a couple things. I'm going to give you two errors two errors that we make when it comes to this spiritual warfare battle. And I'm going to give you three strategies the enemy uses on all of us in different ways. If you're taking notes, you can write them down. The two errors that all of us in this room sometimes wrestle with is we either overestimate the enemy or we underestimate the enemy. We overestimate the enemy or we underestimate him. Again, when I say overestimate him, I mean like we see a devil behind every bush, like the devil's everywhere. People that underestimate him, they don't see the devil anywhere. We overestimate it. We think, man, we, we're fighting a spiritual battle. We can never win. The devil's too strong. To underestimate the devil says the devil can't do anything to me anyways. To overestimate the devil, right, is to see the devil everywhere. To underestimate him is to see the devil nowhere. Now, let's just be really clear. Not everything that happens in this world is the devil. Some of it is just, sometimes it's just physical. Sometimes it's just psychological. Sometimes the situation we find ourselves in, it has really nothing to do with the devil really did anything as much as we just made some really bad decisions. We made some bad moral decisions. But at the same time, not everything's physical, not everything is sociological, and not everything is moral. Some of the things that we are in really are spiritual. Now, again, this Western world that we live in that says basically everything has a natural cause, and if everything has a natural cause, it has a scientific cure. Like the way you're going to get fixed is you just got to get the, you know, you got to get your sociology worked out. You got to get your psychology worked out. You had bad education. You were raised in a poor environment. And if you'll fix that, you'll be okay. What we have to understand is what's behind some racism, what's behind some hate, and what's behind some bitterness, and what's behind some strife. It's not just our broken humanity. Sometimes it really is a spiritual enemy that's fighting against us. So he says this, don't overestimate the enemy because you know why? He might be mighty, but the almighty God in you is bigger than the enemy you're fighting against. John said it this way, greater is he who's in me than he who's in this world. So he says like, he starts his introduction this way. He says, I want you to know, he said that you can stand in the mighty power of God, that you're not fighting this fight alone, that God is with you and God is in you. 
But don't underestimate the enemy because he paints this picture and he like uses all these titles, spiritual rulers and dark places and authorities and dominions and mights and powers. And what he's trying to say is like the enemy is real and he's invasive and he infects everything he can, every way he can to make every one of us he can fall. So if we'll fight in God's strength and we'll fight the fight of faith that we can come out victorious and we'll be able to stand intact. And so here are the three strategies the enemy uses for all of us. He's got more than this, but really they come down to this three. This is the way the enemy works. Now, to be clear, the enemy can't really impact us physically. Like he can't come and knock planes out of the sky. If he could, he would do it all the time because he hates us. And he's spiritually, the Bible says spiritually, if you're a child of God, your spirit belongs to the Lord. So his attack in there, his attack is in our soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. When the enemy fights against us, when he tests us, when he tries us, when he wrestles against us, it's going to be in the way we think, in what we believe, in how, behave, in how we behave, in our mind, our will, in our emotions. And so here's the three strategies the enemy's using on you right now, and he's using on me. Number one is temptation. Temptation. Temptation, what temptation looks like, is this real spiritual battle. What the enemy does is the enemy takes God-given appetites and desires and twists them so we'll fulfill them in ungodly ways. Like the devil doesn't want you just to go do bad. What does that mean? The enemy takes like what God has given you, the natural thirst that God has given us, and he wants us to fulfill them in an unnatural way. Think about this. Everything that God put in Adam in the beginning, all of the appetites he gave him, he gave him a sexual appetite. Right? I mean, man was there alone and God made him a woman. And he told him, he said this, he said, go be fruitful and multiply, which is a nice way of saying, bow, chicken, wow, wow. Right? That's what that was. Go be fruitful and multiply. Like, how would that be on our honeymoon? Hey, baby, you want to be fruitful and multiply? Like, that don't work. What? But we know what it means. So God, it was God who put inside of every one of us a sexual appetite. What the enemy does is he comes and he tempts us to fulfill that God-given appetite in an ungodly way. Go on and get on the internet and watch pornography. Go on and get involved in masturbation. Go on and get off in living with your girlfriend or boyfriend and sleeping together. And anytime we veer off of what God's plan is for us, we are disrupting the appetite that God's given to us and we're following the plan of the enemy for our lives. Come on, are y'all hearing me today? It's God that gave us an appetite for success. That's not you. But what the devil does is he tries to corrupt the positive appetite that God's given us for success of his blessing in our life. And we try to manipulate it to make it self-fulfilling. That if we've got a lie, cheat, or steal, we're going to be successful at all costs. Do you know God created us with an appetite of acceptance? What Adam and Eve found in the garden is they were perfectly accepted by one another and by the relationship with God. What we do is we are tempted by the enemy to twist that. And that's why sometimes, and I'm not just trying to pick on women. Guys do it too, but especially girls. Well, I'm going to pick on the guys. I didn't pick on them first. Service. Guys, when you feel the need to get out of the shower, wrap a towel around you, and snap a picture with all your abs and post it on Instagram, listen, all you're doing is trying to get in a certain amount of accept and then like, uh, in, likes on Instagram because you're not, it's not good enough for you to be accepted by God. you got to have validation from humanity. And anytime you are validated by humanity, you can be invalidated by humanity. And my acceptance and your acceptance comes from God. And we have it all day, all the time, all day long. Come on. So what the enemy does in tempting us is he doesn't make good people bad. He makes flawed people worse. He takes what's already in us and he twists it and leverages it. He takes our lusts and he takes 
our anger or our bitterness or our hatred, and he just twists it to make us even worse. And he not only works through temptation, which temptation is ultimately us making ourselves bigger than we are, saying, I, my plan for me is better than God's plan for me. He not only works through temptation, but he also works through accusation. Has anybody in this room ever went through a difficult season and your first feeling was shame and guilt and God doesn't love me anymore? Wave at me. Like, I'm not sure I can go back to church because I just went through a divorce, or I'm not sure I can go back. I can't go to small group because they're going to know what I did. Anybody here have felt shame before? I want you to know that that's part of the work of the enemy is he comes and he tries to either accuse us or to accuse God. He wants us to feel like that we can't be loved, that our sin is too big, our shame is too great, and God's rejected us. And what he does is he tries to cover over the mercy of God. And he not only accuses us, but he also accuses God that if God really loved you, you wouldn't be going through this. If God really loved you, then why is he keeping this good thing from you? If God really loves you, how come you've not found a man yet? If God really loves you, how come you've not gotten a job yet? So what the enemy does is he tries to accuse us and accuse God. Number three, he works not only through temptation and accusation, but he works through deception. Everybody shout deception. Deception. You know what deception is? There's only really two ways in this world to do everything. I know it looks like there's like lots of ways, but there's really two ways. There's God's way or not. And if you want to have God's best, you got to do it God's way. That's raising kids, spending money, stewarding your resources in your marriage, and et cetera. And what the enemy does is he wants us to veer off of that path. And Jesus said it this way in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life to the full, which means if you'll follow what I say, you can have what I say you can have. But if you choose to live life your own way, then don't be shocked when it ends up wrong, when it ends up bad. And again, that's everything the enemy's doing is he's trying to cover up the path that God has for us or to tell us it's not the right path. He's doing everything he can to lie to us and deceive us, ultimately, so he can do what he wants, which is to steal God's blessing out of your life, to kill, to get us to not have the life God wants us to have, and ultimately for our life to end in destruction. Like, so there really is, come on, everybody, there really is a spiritual battle. Everybody shout, fight the fight. And I know not everything's spiritual, but there are some stuff that's spiritual, right? My wife and I, we went shopping yesterday, and I, I had to go out and get some new pants. And I don't know about anybody else, but I, I hate pants shopping. Pants, pants shopping is my spiritual battle. It's the devil makes pants. Can I just say that? Because he ain't making none that fit me. Like, is my, is my, is my body crazy looking? Because let me just tell you, I can't find pants to fit me for the world. Like, I don't know if you can see, but I got some big thighs. You probably can't see them from where you are. But trying to get pants, like, either I can't get them past my thighs, which hurts my feelings, I'm going to be honest, or, like, I get them past my thighs, and then I can fit, like, another person in my waist, or they fit in the waist and the thighs, but they're, like, eight inches too short. So we're trying pants on yesterday, and my wife's like, here, try these on, try these on. I was in a fetal position weeping in the changing room <laughs> in shame and condemnation. I don't know if it was a spiritual battle or not, but it felt like a spiritual attack to me. Come on. So, right, so I want you all to see this. We have a real spiritual enemy. We're in a real spiritual fight, and he's doing all he can to attempt us, to accuse us, and deceive us, and here's what it looks like. Go back to Genesis. Go back to Genesis real quick. We're almost done. Genesis chapter 3. Watch how these three strategies play out all the way back in the beginning. He's been doing the same tricks for thousands of years, temptation, accusation, and deception. Watch it. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say 
You must not eat the fruit from any tree in the garden. When he asks the question, when he poses the question, did God really say, what he's doing is he's tempting her to live life in a way contrary to what God said, to tempt her away from doing life God's way. Temptation. Watch this. Of course we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you'll die. Verse four, watch this. Read these three words. You won't die. So God said, you will die. Satan said, you won't die. Deception. It's a lie. Everything the devil says is a lie. Jesus said he's a liar and the father of it. So we see he lies to Eve. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. You know what he's doing? Accusation. God's just keeping something from you. you. There's something really great there, and God's just too mean of a God to let you have it. He's accusing God's character. Here's the craziest part about this story is, notice that he's tempting them to be like God. He knows how it's going to end up because that's the same thing he wanted for himself was to be like God. And he knew it didn't work out for him. And he's trying to get life to not work out for us. He wants us to miss the life that God has for us. Watch it real quick. Go back to Ephesians. We'll wrap this up. Here's how we fight the fight. So we found out who Satan is, why he hates us, how he works. Here's how we fight the fight. Are you all with me today? Everybody shout fight the fight. Ephesians 6, chapter 13 through 18. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Listen, life is not always good and life is not always bad, but make sure that you understand that there are times in your life that it's a time of evil. It's a time of spiritual attack. It's a time of temptation. It's a time you feel the accusation of the enemy. There are times in our life where the enemy's trying to deceive us and lie to us and make us miss God's best. And in those times, God says what we need to do is we need to dress for success. You better put on a victory suit. Come on. And he tells us what it looks like. He says, then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Verse 14, stand your ground, putting on, come on, read it with me, the belt of truth in the body armor of God's righteousness. Come on, every voice, read it. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, put up the shield of faith to stop all the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as a helmet and take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and pray in the spirit at all times on every occasion stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere you're reading this you're like what's he saying he's picturing a Roman centurion which in the day they were bad mothers they had it down they were the green beret of the day they were the special forces of the area and he's picturing them getting ready for battle dressing themselves and he's saying if you're going to fight the fight and stand you better dress for the fight if you go in naked you're in trouble if you don't go in covered up with something you're never going to stand so he says this and we could talk about these a long time, but I'm just going to hit them real quick. He says, I want you to put on the belt of truth. Remember I told you the enemy comes and he lies to you. He says, if you don't have something to hold your pants up, it's going to drop and you're going to get exposed in the fight. So the way you fight lies is with truth. He says, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. Why? Because I told you, one of the things the enemy does is he accuses you. He tells you you're rotten and no good and God doesn't love you. But the Bible says, I don't care what the devil says, the Bible says I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that he made me righteous through my faith. He's given me the gift of righteousness. So I cover my heart that I don't have to walk in accusation. I walk in righteousness. He says, I want you also to put on the, the shoes of the gospel of peace. That means the enemy, he wants to tell me that if I follow God, it's not going to work out. If I'm a Christ follower, 
follower in this world, it's not going to end good. But when I put on the good news, what I do is I have confidence as I follow Christ, it's going to end up with life and life to the full. Hold up the shield of faith. What the enemy says is fulfill your desires your own way. Who cares what God says? The shield of faith says I trust God to find my man, meet my needs, bring my health, be my strength. I'm going to have faith that he's my answer and I don't have to fix it on my own. He says, listen, I want you to put on the helmet of salvation. Know who you are and refuse to walk in shame. And having done everything, he said, I want you to grab the sword of the Spirit. What he's saying in this, and here's what I want you to hear today. Everything he's saying comes from God's Word. You will not know you're righteous if you're not in God's Word. You will not know truth if you're not in God's Word. Your faith will not be strong if you're not in God's Word. You will not know who you are in Christ if you're not in God's Word. Which means if you're not showing up in church, hearing God's Word preached, and spending time on your own in God's Word, you are not dressed. So get dressed. There's a real enemy, there's a real fight, but there's a real victory to be had if you'll dress for success. And he ends it this way, and here's why I'll close. He says, and I want you to pray. If you're not a great Bible scholar and you're new to the Bible and you're just kind of ducking in, he said, hey, man, your always fallback is prayer. You can, you can always pray. Anybody in this room, you can be, you could have been saved two minutes ago. Anybody in this room can pray because Jesus taught us to pray. He said, in fact, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then he said this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He's not saying, God, I hope you're not up there. Lead me in a bad path. What he's saying is you need to pray that God will give you the strength to fight when you're in the battle and you better pray that God will give you the eyes to see it so you know it's not just your wife's having a bad day. It's a spiritual fight. It's not just a bad economy. It's a spiritual fight. You're just not going through a tough season. It's a spiritual fight. So God, open my eyes to see there's an enemy and give me the strength to fight the enemy so having done all, I can stand. Everybody shout stand. Stand. And so I want us to do that. Let's stand. And as you stand all across this room, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Steve, I want to make sure that I'm overcoming the enemy. I want to be able to fight the fight. I want to be able to know when I'm being tempted that I can overcome it. I want to, I want to make sure I'm aware when I'm being accused so I can overcome it. If you're here all across this room, you say, Pastor Steve, pray for me. I want to be able to fight the fight. If that's you, I want you to lift a hand real high. Come on, all across this room. I want to be able to fight the fight. God, I pray for every hand in this room that's raised and every person watching online that, God, we will be absolutely reminded today and, God, it will be ingrained in our hearts as we leave that we're in a real spiritual fight with a real spiritual enemy that wants real harm. But we have a God who's greater living in us and through us. That, God, if we'll walk with an awareness, we can fight with a victory. And so, Lord, I thank you today that, God, we're going to walk in that as we dress ourselves and who you called us to be. In Jesus' name.